Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. Yeah, so one question that we try and ask everyone is like, if you were to recommend to someone who was thinking about getting into real estate and into investing for the first time, what would you recommend? And I would say at least 75% of our <coughs> guests, they they basically go with the Nike slogan of just do it. Like like you can overthink anything, um, but if you want to you want to actually do it, you got to do it and you got to get it. Like you just have to make a decision and you have to follow through with it. You got to execute it and get it done. You're going to learn a lot. None of our <laughs> guests have gotten masters in real estate. Yeah, yeah you, you run into these situations as you go along and like you're never going to be able to predict what happened with a rental. Like you can have some, you know, great predictions, but crazy things are going to happen. Things are going to change. The market's going to change. Things are going to shift and you have to make those adjustments as you go away. Real estate is uh, has fundamental value and it is going to continue to grow over time. There'll be dips. There'll be times when interest rates are higher. There'll be times when the interest rates are lower. But over time, things go up and you know, you got to you got to get in. Hey guys, welcome to episode 43 of the Realize Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. I am a realtor for Oregon and Washington, and I'm a multifamily investor and short-term rental investor. Hey everyone, my name is Jordan Lee, and I'm your co-host here. I'm a mortgage lender based in Portland, Oregon, licensed in about nine different states, and I invest in single-family homes. Yeah, and as mentioned, we're on episode 43. We've had 42 amazing episodes over the last year. Yeah, and we wanted to take a quick moment just to kind of reflect and, and recap on some of uh, some of these episodes, talk about some of our favorites and, and some really great insight that we've seen. Um, but before we get started with that, I, I thought we'd just kind of go back and reintroduce ourselves a little bit and talk about how we each got in, into real estate and, and kind of our why and, and how that brought us to start doing this podcast. Sure, yeah. So Jordan, how did you get into real estate? <laughs> great question, Stephen. So um, you know, it, real estate's my second career. Uh, before I was working as a chef, I went to culinary school to start my to start my career in Portland, um, and worked as a in, in fine dining for six years, um, in, in in only a couple of different kitchens, but moved up to a chef position. And I I got to that point where uh, I had reached a cap, and I and I wanted to either start my own restaurant or do something else, and. Uh, you know, eventually after looking at it from a business perspective, I, I, I thought it made more sense to do something else and keep cooking as a, as a passion and a hobby. Uh, and so instead, I, you know, I thought about like other things that I like doing. And one of them is that I had a long term plan of building passive income through real estate. You know, I read books about it. I think at least a quarter of our guests have mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I, I read that book and among other books about real estate. And, I, and it, it, to me, I, I was like, okay, I, I want to build a good, a strong retirement portfolio, and I'm not going to count on just social security. And I thought that real estate would be a good way to, to hedge that um, and build up a retirement of passive income. And so what I, what I did was like, well, 
um, I should learn how to do this, not just for myself, like I'll learn how to do it for, for myself, but also like, you know, help my friends and family do the same thing. Uh, so what, and I, you know, I didn't know anybody in real estate, didn't have any family members, didn't really have any close friends in real estate at all. And so I actually, I just called the loan officer that did my loan because I had a pretty good experience with her after getting, you know, a bad referral for a realtor that we didn't have a great experience with. I mean, eventually we did have a good experience with an, an agent that we just found online. Um, so yeah, I reached out to the loan officer and I worked for her for about a year and then after that, I, uh, you know, became a full-time loan officer and, um, yeah, and now she's my colleague. Oh, that's great. And, uh, how about your real estate investing? Yeah. And in terms of investing, I, it, you know, it took me, uh, as I mentioned, my, my goal was to build passive income through real estate. I knew I wanted to have rentals, long-term rentals, and it took me quite a while. So I bought my first home in 2012 and that was with help from an inheritance from a, a, a recently passed grandparent, um, that just, it just kind of fell into my lap at that time. Like I wasn't, I was making $11 an hour, had minimal retirement savings and, and, and I, you know, I came across some money and I was like, okay, sure. I'll buy a house. I guess so. Um, but I, I hadn't, didn't have any intention of, of making that into a rental eventually until I had read more about it. And, um, and so it really, it took me quite a while. It took me about eight years and it, and it, that was, I think that was year four for me in the industry before I was a, in a, or maybe even five before I was in the position that I could feel comfortable, um, to, to, you know, to buy a new home and convert my old home into a rental. Uh, and then soon after that, it was like during the year 2000 to 2021 when the, when the mortgage market was really great. Um, which is the, the nice thing about this field is that when, when the market's good, uh, you, you get, you know, you get rewarded for it, uh, for, for your hard, if you're doing good work and you're working hard, you'll get rewarded. Uh, so I used some of those extra funds in that year to, to invest in a couple other single families as well. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, so how about you, Stephen? How, what, what, how did you get into real estate? Cause I know it wasn't your first career either. No. Uh, so after college, I started marketing in San Francisco. I did that for about five years before I switched to software engineering. Why San Francisco? Just with like tech or? Uh, to be honest, I have no idea. Because <laughs> you're, cause you're I, from Portland, right? From Portland, went to college in Seattle, and I just went to the Bay Area to just try something new. Hmm. Never been to the Bay Area in my life. Just expected California to be just a oh, gigantic you didn't, you Los didn't follow like friends or family or anything? You just, nope. you just went straight for it and... Did you have like a job offer or? I had an internship lined up okay. uh, down in San Jose. And I, like I said, I'd never been in the Bay Area before and I just expected the entire state of California to be one gigantic LA. <laughs> so I wasn't prepared at all. Was, uh, <clears throat> was that the time when internships, cause like when I did my internship, they were all unpaid. Was that, was yours a paid internship? I needed money to live in the <laughs> Bay Area. It wasn't much, but it was $18 an hour. Uh, I just got my business degree for uh, my undergrad. So I- Okay, so it was a paid internship, that's nice. It was yeah. paid and I, you know, I rented a room at, at a family, uh, somebody I found on Craigslist down there. Oh, really? Was it like six people in a, in a house? No, 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 no. I just lived <laughs> with a Vietnamese family okay. and, you know, their Korean roommate and we all hung out and drank and stuff. Um, but yeah, I started out there in marketing and built my career up for five to six years. And uh, at that point, I I wanted a career change. So I did a coding boot camp and I switched to software engineering, mm. which I did for, okay. for another six to seven years. So marketing and tech had no real relationship to each other. Well, I was marketing in tech since I was in the Bay okay. Area. My, okay. 
my marketing bled into the tech world and I saw how much money my engineering friends were making. I see. Yeah, and so I switched to that. And, and you already had some contacts in there from your marketing accounts or not really? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I, I did marketing for a lot of uh, big startups. Okay, okay. And so switching over wasn't super difficult. I kind of knew what the culture of startups were, you mm -hmm. know, the free lunches and, uh, <laughs> you know, the nice perks and the beer after work and everything. You're interviewing companies like who has the most free lunch and the most gym, best gym, gym membership. <laughs> it's funny because uh, every single company I would gauge in on how, how many lunches I would get a week. So the first company was we have one lunch a week and then the next upgrade was two lunches a week. <laughs> the next company after that, I think I got three until I got to my last company and it was lunch every single day. Mm, mm, that's and, when you know you've made it in the tech world, right? Yeah, getting, cater <laughs> getting all your lunches and, and occasionally your dinners catered. And like, you know, I had never thought about real estate ever because it was the Bay Area. Nothing was affordable. I knew nobody buys there. Right? That's that's <laughs> at your age at your age at the time. right? Yeah. Nobody at my age range would buy unless they had family help. I mean, I know like engineering couples, like both making six figures who couldn't afford anything in the city. And if they were to buy, they were buying like an hour outside the city. So I never thought about and it. And that was like 10 years ago, right? I mean, I feel like that was the entire time I was in the Bay Area. Right. Nobody was buying. Yeah. Um, Unless, like I said, they were buying really, really far away, willing to commute, or had some kind of remote situation. Interesting. Yeah, and I got into real estate investing because, uh, well, not even real estate investing, buying my first piece of real estate because I was basically forced to. Um, mm. You know, my parents uh, unfortunately went bankrupt and lost their home to foreclosure. And so when I went home, I was planning to buy it uh, off of them and, you know, have them buy their business. To, yeah, buy their business, buy the land. Uh, and fortunately, I wasn't able to qualify for that, which is a blessing in disguise. Uh, and, you know, I was going to be stuck just paying a mortgage for a house uh, for them and, you know, probably running off to New York or Singapore to work in engineering again. And I wasn't very happy about that because I didn't want to have like a $2,000 payment for just a house. Right. That, you know, I was because you weren't going to live there. It was just for your parents. Exactly. And so I was getting pretty frustrated at that. I have two older sisters and I was like, okay, like why is thrown on me? <laughs> and uh, you know, my sister said something that kind of changed my mindset. Why don't you just go buy a multifamily? Mm. And I said, what is a multifamily? <laughs> I literally and she, no so should she been in, did she have multifamily investments at the time or? No, no. She just like had heard about it? Yeah, she heard about it. I didn't really ask, I had no context. I was literally forced into this situation. So uh, we got an agent, uh, my current principal broker, Alex Fan, who helped me uh, find my property. I barely cared to look at anything. Um, I mean, that's so lucky that you found a great broker to start. I mean, is a, was a family connection, is that how you guys got? Uh, Alex is my brother-in-law's cousin's husband. Mm. So like technically related, but yeah, but you, you knew of each other. Yeah. We met at a bachelor party and okay. when I moved back to Portland, uh, he was recommended to me, to be honest, I didn't know anything about real estate. I basically used, uh, the first person's handed to me in lending and in real estate uh, as a real estate agent. And then when, when you guys get like, when you told him your plan, was he just like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Here's how we're going to do it. Or how did I mean, that work? I didn't even have a plan. Like, I think we just told him like, I think we're going to go for multifamily because I don't want to be in charge of this full mortgage. Uh -huh. And so they found me something. Uh, I basically had my sister vet everything for me. Okay. And I mean, I, I oh, cause you it. were out. Yeah. Cause you were out of town. No, no, I was there. Oh, you were here. Okay. I was working remote. I was there, but I didn't know how, how to vet a property. I was just kind of like, this is fine. Mom and dad can live here. Is it comfortable? Yeah. Is it like okay looking? Uh, like I said, I had absolutely no experience in real estate. So I blindly signed everything. <laughs> I didn't even have a number that I was particularly offering at that I knew. I think they just had an off market property and they're saying this is the price. 
So I just signed everything. And did you, but you had like a rough idea that the rents would more or less cover the mortgage or, it's or come funny. close to it? No, no, uh, they, you didn't, just... they, they didn't cover the mortgage. Uh, I was basically a thousand dollars out of pocket um, right away because each unit was renting about $900 a month and my parents were getting a free unit mm. and my mortgage was like roughly almost 4,000. So I was losing a thousand dollars a month. Okay. But my parents, I mean, for my parents to live for a thousand dollars, it's yeah, better than that's me paying. better than 2000 or whatever you would have been. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, I still didn't see myself as a real estate investor. <clears throat> um, and basically until I, I met a friend uh, at the gym who told me I was an investor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's literally all there was. And the, you know, the, everything else was just me kind of struggling and, you know, dealing with bad tenants here and there and having people move out and, mm. you know, trying to save money by fixing it up. Uh, and, you know, within a year, and I bought this with a 5% FHA right. loan. And within a year, I uh, was, you know, I was told by my lender at that time to, I should refinance because rates had dropped like down to like the, you know, the high twos or something, right. something great. And when I refinanced and I told the appraiser what my rents were, I'd raised my rents at that point, not like on purpose, but because people left and I was just guesstimating, my average rent from 900 to 1200. And then they gave me the market rate for my parents' unit, which was around 1200. Mm -hmm. And so I bought it for 675 and it appraised for 830 a year after I bought it. Wow. And yeah, and so- It's crazy. So, I mean, I wasn't even really like that excited about the equity, but uh, just seeing that I just dropped my payment $800 a month, I just raised all my rents, um, you know, was it like $900 a month. So I was basically at, at that point cash flowing. So you went, yeah, you went from like bleeding about $1,000 a month to cash flowing $1,000 a month more exactly, or less. Exactly. $2,000 yeah. swing. Amazing. So that was just kind of like that light bulb in my head that, oh man, like real estate investing is amazing. Yeah. And I jumped into bigger pockets. Uh, I, you know, bought another fourplex uh, with a buddy of mine, did a partnership and turned that into a really great investment. And then I bought two more single family houses with a friend um, that we turned into short term rentals and everything's been doing quite amazing, you know, like lots of obviously, you know, bumps and valleys along the way, but uh, learned a lot and, you know, definitely have grown my financial freedom enough to quit my, my day job as a software engineer and go right. into uh, being, you know, a real, being a real estate agent and helping out investors and first time home buyers. I love that light bulb moment where it's like, okay, this is, this is what I'm, this is what's going to be doing. I'm going to be doing for the rest of, you know, exactly. it, it makes sense. And you know, for me, I didn't mention that, but when I converted my home to a uh, rental and bought my new primary, it, it was, you know, like I said, it was eight years later. And so I had the value of my home had gone up like 200 and change. So I got a home equity line of credit. And I, and I always like educated my clients about this strategy and talked about this strategy and read about this strategy, but it's a whole different thing to like talk to people about it and then actually do it. Right. Oh yeah. So when I pulled that home equity line of credit and bought a new and bought the new house, I used that equity line for my down payment. And I was like this, it felt amazing. You know, I felt, oh, yeah. it felt like I was cheating because I didn't save any, <clears throat> I didn't save, I didn't like use any of my cash reserves for the down payment. Um, and then my tenant was paying for my first mortgage and my second mortgage. And then I was still cash flowing like 700 bucks or something like that. Yeah. So it was, it was a really, it was like a, like you said, a light bulb moment was like, Oh man, like people need to do this. Yeah. I mean, that's why I spout it all the time. And that's why we started the podcast. I mean, like I felt like we ran into like amazing situations that helped us build our, you know, personal wealth and financial freedom. And I was like really interested, like how many more people can we find that have done 
really interesting things. Yeah, and and you know, it turns out there's a ton. Like, oh, I yeah. mean, we've just barely kind of touched into our network, and there's there's a lot of people out there that have had this light bulb moment that have. Um, you know, done it in a lot of different strategies and a lot of different methods. Uh, maybe you want to talk about really quick, like some of your kind of looking back over the last, you know, 40 plus episodes, what are some of your favorites or ones that stood out to you that you think, you know, people might want to just tune into if they haven't looked at any of our podcasts yet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll jump right into like episode seven with Aubrey Turley. I mean, she's a really good friend of ours after mm. our episode. I think we met her at a summer mixer and, you know, she's part realtor, part property manager. And I think one of the best things, and it wasn't on the episode, I mean, she gave us a great story of how she kind of was building her empire and very inspirational, but I mean, she just showed her us our, her entire process of how she got a rental unit ready. Yeah, super methodical. It's She came from it from previous business experience. Yeah, and I cabinets. think she wasn't, she was a property manager before she was a realtor too? I think so, yeah, yeah. So I think because she was a property manager and then they thought that would be a good addition to um, to, to the their team, business, to uh, their to the business team. model and team, yeah. Exactly, and I mean, they, they you know, they come from like having a, a, a cabinet business. She's been in corporate at Nike, et cetera, and decided like, this is where I wanna build my empire. And I thought that was amazing. I always, I always say that now after I heard her say it, it's like, how am I gonna build my empire? Yeah, it's like she understands so many different facets of that <coughs> world, and um, so you're right. Yeah, that's a great episode to turn into. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Jordan? Any episodes that stand out for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a few on my list, too. One one that I really liked was episode nine with um, Marissa Sains. And she did something super interesting that was, like we were talking about earlier, it was definitely a light bulb moment for her. So she bought a corner lot in the Mississippi area. And um, at the time, she wasn't thinking about it. But uh, later what she did is she found out she was able to subdivide that lot. Um, and, and basically, you know, cut the lot in half. And then she had her house on one side that she was living in and then bare land on the other. And what you're able to do with this bare land, because it's essentially you own it free and clear, there's not a loan on it. She was able to uh, you collateralize that or use it as a down payment for a construction loan. Oh, yeah. So, so she had her home that she was living in. While she was living <coughs> there, <clears throat> she just spent a little bit of money to do the subdivision. And then was able to build with the with the land as the down payment. <clears throat> so basically she was, you know, felt like she was putting zero down and built a new home and after she, that was completed she moved into the new home and you know she designed it as she wanted. She put an ADU at the bottom that she was renting out and then she was renting out her old home and that in one fell swoop, she was mortgage free. Oh yeah, I mean, and it really doesn't like, hurt. That's crazy. I mean, it is crazy. It really doesn't hurt too that she bought in Mississippi before it was the Mississippi that we know now. That's true. Yeah, she she was in a good neighborhood. And she bought at a time when you know the market was down. But but like she would, after that she was like, and we're looking for our next one. Like we're and I think she's actually working on it right now. Yeah. Um, we should we should do a follow up episode with her about that. But like that strategy of of buying land that gives you options is is super useful yeah yeah and it also just shows the value of buying in a good area like if you can predict what a good area is like an area that's going to gentrify and turn into a really trendy popular area like that really helps exactly yeah and i just wanted to highlight another episode uh, episode 11 with john tay he's mm. an exp realtor um you know he has an amazing portfolio tons of i think he started out with like townhouses 
and started building from there. Yeah, didn't he start buying in his like early twenties or something? Yeah, like bought that? in his early twenties. Just started picking up townhouses. And he started as an appraiser too, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Before he was a realtor, he was an appraiser. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, he has an amazing portfolio. He's just started listing it off. He has like, you know, like a uh, office retail strips. He has like nineteen unit uh, apartment buildings that he He's, built. That he built. Uh, you know, he looked at zoning and knocked out a house and built a 19 unit apartment. Um, there's just so many things there, but I think the biggest thing that I got from that episode, because these things all sound very complicated, very, you know, like, like this is out of my depth. Right. And for him, you know, his big decision was, I'm just going to go do this and I'm going to learn mm-hmm. and it's going to be part of my skill set. You know, yep. he just, I thought that was really inspiring that like, even if it seems out of reach, this guy just decided I'm going to go do this. I've never done it before, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to develop or subdivide a lot and go learn how long it's going to take with the city right. and just going to deal with the consequences. And, you know, he was smart about it too. Like, so he was investing pre, um, 2008, remember? Yeah. So he had, he had some before the crash and I, and I remember asking him about like, what, like, why didn't he panic and sell like so many people? And he's yeah. like, well, you know, I, I could still see that I was paying down the loan balance. So even though my value was like less than what my, what, what my loan was, I was still paying down my loan. Yeah. And he was, so he was still able to keep his tenants in there and he just, you know, kept paying down the loan. Exactly. I mean, I think people ignore principal pay down so much when they think about real estate investing. They're always thinking about the cash flow and the equity growth, but sometimes just paying down your loan is an amazing way to invest. And, and like, you gotta be in, think about the long term, right? Like when yeah. you bought, you were hemorrhaging, you were hemorrhaging a thousand dollars a month, but in the long term, that's, you know, that's not the case, right? Things get better over time. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's see. So, it, you know, another one that I really liked was, um, with uh, Jason, episode 30, we talked about there's, and the reason I like this episode is because it has some new information about zoning that, that Portland's kind of on the cutting edge. So if you're interested in like the way zoning is moving and kind of how you can maximize your best use of the land, uh, this, this is a great episode to tune into because one interesting strategy that he's doing is he's building cottage clusters. And what this new zoning, and again, I'm not an expert. We're not experts of zoning. Oh, no, definitely you, not. <laughs> you know, tune into the episode to check out and, and check, you know, check out the Call the City if you're super interested in it. But um, from my understanding is that what you can do with, with this is that you can build the units first and then partition afterwards to sell them. So instead of incurring that upfront cost of partitioning and, and time, not just, not just like cost, but also time, um, expenses you can you can build it ahead of time into cottage clusters into small homes and then afterwards you can go through and partition partition them of course you need to build them up to to meet whatever codes and and whatnot but um it's super interesting that that portland's doing this and i think if it's successful that other states are going to follow suit because you know every most cities across the country are are having trouble with affordability. Oh yeah, I mean, and I think the biggest thing is is just that, you know, he was building on on the like you said the cutting edge of that zoning. Like they didn't even know how to right. how to like basically lead him in terms of building these cottages and what restrictions he had to follow and so he was basically building out those laws himself if anything. It, well, yeah, it's it was almost like the law hadn't been fully in place yet and he's getting it ready to do it or something. Yeah, like, exactly. Like he was basically one of the first people to take advantage of this law and he had no guidance from the city because they didn't even really understand right, how right. it would work. So if, if you run into any restrictions or any issues with 
cottages uh, blame Jason. <laughs> no, and plus, I mean, just the fact, I mean, when I got into real estate investing, all I just heard in my head, never invest in Multnomah County. It has the worst rules and restrictions, and he's specifically working in Multnomah County. Uh, because with, of those rules and restrictions. Exactly. Like, the <laughs> fact that they're, you know, wanting to build more housing. Yeah, Portland is really serious about that, and there are obviously some negatives, and this is obviously a big plus. Yeah, there's always, anytime there's adversity, it creates opportunity. Yeah. And uh, I also want to highlight episode 14 with, with uh, Jamie Tian and, and Kenny Fast. Uh, this is the kind of uh, an almost an off-topic uh, episode for us. It was our first non-real estate investing episode. Yeah, it wasn't focused on real estate investing. There was there were story elements in it, though. But Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, so Jamie Tian, she's a, a big-time luxury agent down in the Los Angeles area. So. Did you see that she just started her own brokerage? She just started her own brokerage, yeah. just real, real. And high. she's building her own app, too. Okay, I didn't know about that part. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she does, what, like $40 million a year by herself? Something oh, it's, crazy. It's, yeah, it's a I lot. Mean, but, uh, you know, and then Kenny, he owns, uh, he's an EXP agent, and he owns his own uh, brokerage. I think it was, was Fast. Yeah, Fast Agent or something. Fast Agents, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, he has, I think they've done hundreds of millions of dollars in business per year. Like, they're one of the top. Top five in the country. And, yeah, and one of the biggest brokerages in in america how many is it like 600 agents or something i mean i think he fluctuates a lot but somewhere around there he told me yeah he told me last year he recruited 105 agents but then they also lost 115 agents yeah yeah but you know those are the kind of bottom feeders right it really tells you i mean how hard this business can be it's not it's not easy to be an agent but i think the biggest thing that we took away we had a whole conversation about branding and social media you know yeah and it was i mean these two are both really at the, the top of their game in terms of branding and social media in the real estate world. So they had a lot of really great insight for us. Yeah, I mean, some of the little takeaways that I took were, um, you know, like stories are literally just an episode. Basically, it's your TV show, an episode into your life. And, you know, he, I mean, Kenny is famous for posting like 10, 15, 20 stories a day. And any talk about real estate is just that little commercial break in the episode about you as your character. Yeah. I really love that. And that obviously the fact that it disappears after like a day, you can be more of your casual self, mm-hmm. which is really amazing. And then the reels and the, the posts are more your polished content. Yeah, the stories are like, he does a good job of adding humor in there. When we were hanging out at the retreat recently, he was posting the stories and it's, he mean, people were just pinging him left and right. Like he gets, he gets a lot of interaction and engagement with it. Yeah, and I mean, he's very particular about his, where his business is. It's obviously recruiting agents. So it's, it, he's really big on talking about how great his business is. And he, he does a really great, like I said, he does a really great show of himself. He's a great character in his own mm-hmm. quirky, epi- uh, his own quirky show that I, I love, so. It's really fun. Yeah, great episode. Yeah. Um, another favorite of mine was uh, Ryan Racinos, which was like a, you know, it was a kind of a connection of a connection. It was a client of a, of an agent friend of ours that that um, she she'd worked with that, that had done a bunch of primary conversions. So he, and sorry, um, basically he'd converted his current home into a rental, and when he moved into <coughs> a new home, and he did that four or five times. Oh yeah. So he, he, he and it and also what I thought was interesting too is that you know he's not like a professional realtor he's not a professional lender or anything he's he, he's a software engineer right yeah yeah he's in tech um, so it's his side job um, but he you know he goes about it in a very planned and you know engineer esque way which which I think is you know for for you listeners it might be something 
worth worth tuning into if you're interested in that strategy. And he also talked about um, an IDA program, which is an, an individual development account. And what that what it's basically free money. Um, it takes time, but yeah, I mean you you apply with a local um, uh, bank, and what they do is they'll match your down payment if you're saving it specifically for down payment. I mean, you have to meet some various requirements and it often takes like six months to a year and he, he goes into more depth about it. Uh, but some of them will match up to five to one. Yeah, no, it's I mean, crazy. That was the first time I ever heard about this program. And I mean, I mean, it just tells you how many options there are to help you get a home, to get that down payment. To fi- Like everybody thinks it's so hard to even save up 5% for a home and there are tons of grants. Yeah, and but what if you saved 1% and 5% of it was matched by the bank? Oh, yeah, like, that'd be great. There you go. <laughs> I wish somebody told me that. You know, that would have been great. I don't know if I would qualify but or back then, but, you know, there are amazing options out there for, you know, for people to get into real estate investing or even just get into your own home. Yep. You know, but he did he did a bit good mix of both. It was his first home and he knew he was going to turn it into a rental. Yep. Yeah, he, he went into it with that mindset. He had the plan laid out. Yeah. And, uh, I would say the last of one of my favorite episodes is episode 39, really recent episode we did with Ashley Hayden, and uh, she manages properties on a huge scale in like the thousands of properties. Thousands of properties, yeah. Yeah, and I just thought like, it's a legitimate full business with, you know, dozens of employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just found that fascinating, like how, like how many people it takes to deal with that many properties all across the US. I think she has the majority of her properties out in Texas and uh, in other spaces as well. Yeah, pretty different than in our other episodes. She's a physician by trade and then walked into a family business. I think, did she start at 2,500 units and then quickly acquired another thousand? Yeah, somewhere around so there, they, yeah. <laughs> So it's just like, imagine going from zero to, you know, 2,500 and overnight is interesting to think about, right? Yeah, and then I mean, she had some interesting, uh, you know, methods in terms of how she picked up her properties, some things that she thought about that I see commonly used all the time now. I think the the interesting one was how close is it to a Starbucks? Oh yeah, yeah. She came up with that before it was a thing, right? Yeah, because like I said, now we have friends that are like, okay, how close is it to a Whole Foods? I yeah. only buy properties near Whole Foods, and it makes sense. I mean, if they are doing their research to you know pick a good location where you know, there could be affluent people, I mean that that's good enough research for somebody who's going to be buying you know a multifamily property. Yeah, and another takeaway I had from that episode was that so the part of the way that they acquired all their dad acquired all this stuff to start is that he bought them after the crash. Yeah. Um, back when mortgage-backed securities were not exactly bonds, they were just a group of mortgages put packaged together. So it was like, you know, an, an office building here, an apartment building here, uh, you know, whatever, you know, doctor's office over here. So a bunch of different things. So they had all these different asset classes. And then he, he would go through and like um, eliminate ones that they needed to foreclose on. But and then decide on ones that they wanted kept. And the interesting theme for them was like, we're keeping multifamily. These are these are the ones that are performing well. These yep. are the ones we're getting max value out of, um, and these are the ones that we can scale with. Uh, so I thought, you know, of all the different classes that that they went with that, that I thought that was interesting to me. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know too much about office and you know retail space, but uh, she definitely does, and she really gave us a lot of insight in terms of why she chose like commercial residential over those and. Mm. Gave us like we had a whole talk and it wasn't recorded because we finished up and we had a whole conversation about, well, I think we had we did talk about uh, office and residential uh, office and commercial space that uh, why she wasn't the biggest fan of that versus uh, residential. But afterwards, she talked about like 
fixers versus oh uh, value add properties versus like ready to go mm-hmm. and like her thoughts on you know not putting in money into yeah that that was interesting like not what we expected i really wish we recorded that we just ha- ended up having basically our own private podcast <laughs> afterwards that i was like man we should have just kept the camera rolling so, like, she's just a, she has so much knowledge that i i mean i honestly want, want to bring her back on at some point and just continue to talk about totally some of the things we discussed Okay, and then last lineup for among our favorites, the one I, I had jotted down was um, Eduardo Reyes. Uh, this was episode 15, and he, he's a local agent, super high producer. I think his first year he did like 60 sides. Something crazy. Yeah, and, you know, he, <coughs> he made the 30 under 30. Um, it, what he did really well, uh, and, you know, I think this is a good – this is a great episode for agents because it shows you – how developing a niche and just like focusing on help helping people and yeah. following through can really make help you to build a great business. So he, I can't remember if he got a referral or how he landed the listing, but he he had a listing for a manufactured home, and he had twenty eight or thirty people reach out to him about it, and so he sold that manufactured home, right? But you can only sell the one person. But he followed up with all of those other people, yeah, and then ended up converting a ton of them into clients and, and finding them manufacturers homes. Cause he's like, I, I don't mind. I mean, I know these things are difficult, but I don't, I don't mind doing it. I don't difficult, mind low margin, but if you do enough of them, obviously it can be a lot of money. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, he built a really successful business out of that. Uh, and yeah, cause he, he wanted to help people and he figured out how to do it in a way that, you know, made sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I always refer them out whenever anybody ever brings up manufactured homes because I personally don't know much about it. And I, I, you know, I know Alex calls him the manufactured home king. So, you know, he's the guy to go to if you want to do that one specific thing. He's the expert. He's built his reputation up. And that's why he keeps getting business, not just from his clients, but from us agents. Who from other agents who yeah. don't want to deal with it and that can that trust him because he's, you know, he's good at his job. He's going to do it more efficiently than us. He knows more about it. He knows the trials and tribulations of everything that goes with it. So why should we handle it when we can have somebody who's an expert? And like I said, he, I think he's up to hundred, like hundreds of units at this point. I mean, I do the same thing for manufactured homes that are in parks, not ones that are on like land and attached to a foundation, but for ones that are in parks, I refer them because it's a different, whole different loan. You know, I, I refer that to an, a different lender as well because she does like 150 of them a year. Yeah. She knows it's crazy. What to do. Yeah. yeah. Always refer to the experts. I mean, you know, get your referral cut. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, uh, a little easier for you agents than us lenders. Oh, so. yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, those are our favorite episodes, but I would say that there's a lot of... All of the other episodes are our favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, we <laughs> love everybody, clearly. But uh, there are definitely a lot of creative strategies that were really highlighted uh, over the past year for us. I would say, you know, f- you know, when we first started out, our very first episode, we started with uh, our dear friend Be- uh, Ben Sampson, uh, episode one. And we jumped straight into short-term rentals. At that point, I don't, I don't know if I had my short-term rental at that point. I might have just started. Maybe you had just started. Yeah, yeah I didn't know much about it, but it's, it, he has a great strategy because he bought a house uh, with a garage, and then he actually raised his garage roof to build an ADU there. Yeah, they did it themselves. They jacked it up, right, and put in a big beam. <clears throat> yeah, no, I was just like, wow, the, the lengths people will go to and the work they'll do to kind of, you know, build – real estate income it's crazy i was like i was like i can't believe you went to, to this depth to do this i would have just converted the garage 
and not raised a roof, but he did an amazing job. We actually filmed the episode right in his uh, yeah, ADU. Yeah, it's, it's in the ADU. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, and it, it you know it goes to show like this is the kind of the next level of house hacking. You, you want, it's always valuable to have extra units and you can, the easiest and cheapest way to do that is with an ADU, either in your basement or in your garage. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to get started, I mean, especially in Portland where the restrictions are for short term rentals are pretty tough. I mean, he basically did it the right way yep. other than maybe raising a roof. I don't know if I'd want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a lot, but uh, I mean, raises the value, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Build his equity. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, like we, we did have a lot of super creative, I mean, all the episodes are full of creative methods, but another one that we really liked was, um, Jessica Wong, who also was doing Airbnb stuff. Yeah. But surprisingly, she was looking more at midterm than short term. So midterm is, is it defined as 30 days or more? Yeah. So 30 days or more, you can kind of jump over most of the short term rental restrictions. I think it's right. Cause like if in, in a lot of places they just outright say you cannot do anything, anything less than 30 days. Exactly. And so I think her strategy, obviously, there's midterm. Uh, we heard about like, obviously, travel nurses, uh, you know, corporate housing, etc. She has a lot of ways to book these midterm rentals. She's on Facebook groups trying to get people in for midterm. It shocked me because she was like, I don't want Airbnbs in places that are popular. I don't oh, yeah. want them in travel destinations. I don't want them in vacation places. Her one that's doing super well, the midterm one we filmed in this one, beautiful. She's a great designer. Um, this this was done in Vancouver, Washington, Vancouver, Washington, which yeah. is you know just outside of Portland. And she's like, yeah, I get people all the time that are remodeling their house, um, or, or I'm here for a wedding, or here for something simple, or just random things, just life life events. Yep, and yeah. and it and. It does great, and she's super happy with it. Yeah, it changed my mindset in terms of thinking about Airbnb as just vacations, like you mentioned. Like I never thought of it anything more than that. It is like people are here, they're out of state, they want right. to find a cheap house. This is like it completely changed your entire game plan and the the amount of amenities that you add to a house when you think that somebody's here for a different reason. Well, and it opens your market too. Like you don't have to just go to those destinations, right? Yeah. So you can buy a house in places that aren't as destination heavy, um, and it also like. You know, it, it allows you to go somewhere where there's not as much competition in, yeah. in those destination locations. How many Airbnbs are there there? Like, you know, there's going to be tons of competition. You you got to have <clears> the best <throat> one if you want to get the most business. So it, um, I think that's a, she, it's a really smart strategy. Yeah, and that was episode five. And she's definitely even scaled in the past year to more. I think she, she was working on one in Richfield that she got live. I, I forget where else she has. She has multiple. I've, I've honestly lost track of where she has them. I think she has two in Richfield. There's one maybe. in Phoenix too, maybe? Yeah, somewhere like around there. I know she has property in LA too. So she's kind of all over the place, growing really fast. And I thought that was amazing. And, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, episode 21, uh, we had uh, Reed Kirk from my office come in. And, you know, he's really big in terms of developing, uh, obviously, multifamily properties. Mm. Yeah. And that was an interesting one. I mean, you know, we've had, I feel like, uh, people building multifamily before, but he, I think the one thing I took away from it was uh, condoizing a multifamily. Uh, yeah, allowing property. you to sell them separately. Yeah, I mean, you know, with most multifamily, you always think, like, oh, I got to go, I buy this fourplex, I got to sell this fourplex as its own thing. But, you know, with you can technically just condoize each individual unit and basically sell them as, you know, individual condos. And that's a good way to, you know, basically... Uh, you know, offset parts of your multifamily if mm -hmm. you don't want to sell it all at once or if you can't sell it all at once. It helps with the construction costs. It, it just makes a lot of sense for building density. Yeah, and, you know, it helps, in, especially in cities that 
are unaffordable, this definitely adds a little bit more affordable housing for people, and then they, they can own their space, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And another one that you know we we talked about. Um, we interviewed Alex Ferry recently, and uh, he did seller finance, which uh, you, you may or may not be familiar with. But basically, instead of going to the bank um, and getting financing with a traditional lender or a private lender or whatever, uh, you have the the seller of the home finance it. Uh, and there's lots of ways to negotiate that deal. Yeah. Um, and so that that's <coughs> a very interesting strategy because it could you could theoretically get in with zero down. Yeah. Um, and so there's. You know that one. It's hard to kind of just talk about seller financing off the hip, but uh, you should tune into that episode, episode forty-two with Alex Ferry, and and look into seller financing um, because it's it's a very especially in this market. Oh yeah. Um, it's it could be a nice way to get a, a, a lower interest rate or or better terms or lower down than what you would traditionally get with a conventional mortgage. Yeah, I mean negotiating directly with the seller, especially when everybody's telling me rates are too high or I can't find anything. It's like, well, you know, you can find a great situation. If you really want a great property, you can go around asking people. Yeah. It's a work though. Yeah, yeah. It is a lot of work and it is about like finding what that seller is willing to give mm -hmm. and what they need, uh, you know, in moving forward. Maybe they need a certain amount per month and willing to take less or willing to give you a great interest rate or. That's, you know. And on the sales side, if, if you are a seller and you are, <clears throat> thinking about other creative options, it can be a good way, uh, we're not tax advisors, but it can be a good way of mitigating capital gains. Exactly, and spreading also, out that yep. capital gains over a couple years. Right, and getting kind of like a, a payment as an annuity instead of just like a lump sum. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that I hear that a lot from like more elderly sellers, like they are they don't need that lump, huge lump sum right now, they just need a certain amount of money and they're, they, they don't wanna pay a lot of taxes in their older years, so right. it's a get, great way for them to kind of move past that, so. Totally. And uh, I'd say like probably the, the best creative strategy, which, you know, multiple people have done is converting their primary into a rental. I, I mean, that was easiest for me. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of a lot of episodes did it. Yeah, let's see who, who all did that. Yeah, I mean, episode 42, I, we're not gonna name everybody because there's a lot of episodes of people who did it, but Alex Ferry from episode 42 did it. Mm -hmm. uh, Ryan Racinos, which we talked about earlier, episode 36. Yeah, Ashley Contreras, uh, Salem Agent, uh, episode 33. Uh, Robin Sandy, yeah, um, episode 28, they did it with a duplex. Yeah, and Qualtran, he's an insurance agent, he did it in episode 38. I mean, they all kind of do things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think they're all amazing episodes here of like, whether they planned on doing that initially or that's something that they decided later. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of options for people who already have their house. Like, should this be a rental? Or if you're gonna buy one, should I buy something that will I'll turn into a rental later? Um, you know, it all depends on your strategy. So, yeah, yeah I th it, that one is just the. Mo I think it's logically it's the most simple. Yeah, and then it's also mm -hmm. the least down. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen conventional three percent down. No. I, there's, I'm doing a, a physician loan zero percent down oh, right really? now on it for a client. So nice. I mean, you know, and obviously you have to have it as your primary to make that happen. Right. So primary loans are your honestly probably your best way to get into uh, real estate investing. Yeah. Very true. Um, <clears throat> so, Stephen, if you wanted to highlight, like, you know, for anyone that's a first-time home buyer out there, how, is there an episode that would make like the most sense for them to tune into? Yeah. So uh, these are my clients, but uh, the episode with Robin Sandy, I think that was episode twenty-eight, and I helped them buy. I actually met them on Bigger Pockets. 
uh, through the forums. I just was responding to a, a question and uh, they decided to use me as their agent. And they were looking for a duplex to buy. Mm. You know, they wanted to buy a duplex, live in one side, renovate it, and then move on to the next one. Um, and I believe the first property was purchased by Rob himself. Yeah, and and actually they did the renovations themselves, yep. right? And we filmed in their duplex after they had finished renovating it. Oh yeah, and I mean honestly, I did not know that they would go to this. <laughs> the the lengths they went. Yeah, to when he to when he told house. me they were renovating, I was like expecting them to do some paint and some, you know. Yeah, I mean, I would say the one thing. <laughs> some floors or something. It's a great episode because it is an amazing strategy. You know, you you buy a duplex where you're comfortable with living on one side and it meets all your needs, and you you have some rental income coming from the side. Um, I mean, I think that's probably my favorite strategy. I mean, I did that. Right. You know, with my obviously, I didn't live there technically. I bought it for my parents, but it was still a primary because I bought it for them. Right. Um, and it, you know, having that rental income coming in while offsetting my parents' costs really helped out and helped me build an amazing investment. And they did the same with their first one. And it was funny. Right after that that episode, uh, you know, we started talking, and then I found them their second duplex. Yep. Uh, in Vancouver. Uh, and what did, what did they center. say that they wanted to not? do one that was as much as much work yeah. because it was like they did plumbing they did electrical they I changed mean, beams they <laughs> didn't have a toilet for <laughs> they basically ripped it apart yeah they ripped apart their bathroom they didn't have a toilet for a while I was <laughs> they were going to the, the bathroom at the, like the hardware store yeah. nearby or something <laughs> i'd say I, would, I, I definitely wouldn't well not that i wouldn't advise people to go to the level i'm just saying it's a great episode to see what you can actually do what you can build if you have put in enough work but there's definitely easier options if you want to spend a little more for something that's a little bit more more done. This property was like 120 years old or something, something crazy. Yeah. And I got them a 1960s property, which it's a lot easier. Well, this, they also bought in the time when it was like, you had to pay so much over asking. There was just oh, yeah. crazy competition. Oh so. yeah. No, exactly. So, you know, I, I still think that they did an amazing job and now they both have a duplex under each of their names. And they did it again because it was so effective. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm going to check in with them really soon to see, uh, you know where they're at with that <laughs> yeah we need to have follow-up yeah exactly um yeah and is there any like common thread that you noticed over the spate of all the episodes that we've had yeah so one question that we try and ask everyone is like if you were to recommend to someone who was thinking about getting into real estate and into investing for the first time what would you recommend and i would say at least 75 percent of our <coughs> our um our guests they they basically go with the nike slogan of just do it like it's so much analysis paralysis, like you can overthink anything. Um, but if you want to, you want to actually do it, you got to do it and you got to get it. Like you just have to make a decision and you have to follow through with it. You got to execute it and get it done. You're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Right? Nobody's getting a master's in real estate. Oh, there, there might be a master's in real estate. None of our <laughs> guests have gotten master's in real estate. Everything is you run. Some of them don't a, even, yeah, don't have college degrees. Yeah. yeah you, you run into these situations as you go along and like, you're never gonna be able to predict what happens with a rental. Like, you know, like you, you can have some, you know, great predictions, but crazy things are gonna happen. Things are gonna change. The market's gonna change. Things are gonna shift, and you have to make those adjustments as you go away, go along. And sometimes there, you know, shifts that help you, and sometimes there's shifts that are challenges that help you learn. Yeah, but yeah, if you spend too much time crunch, I mean, it's important to run numbers. It's important to evaluate the market and think about what you're doing. But if if you're only like gonna do that like what's the point right you gotta yeah. you gotta get your feet wet you gotta get in there and do it yeah exactly yeah i mean obviously try to you know put up your safeguards and you know know what you can handle and you know know 
obviously, you know, plan for the worst case scenarios, but don't let that scare you from getting started. So that's the, the biggest thing that I've learned from, well, that I've heard from most of us. I actually feel the same way too. Just go for it. I was going to say, you know, an expletive, but <laughs> just, yeah. just go for it. You know? <laughs> well, and, and honestly, like for, I, you know, I have a few friends from, you know, that I've talked to and they're like, yeah, well, we're just waiting for it to crash and we're waiting for this. And I'm like, well, keep waiting. Like yeah. I, that's, that's the thing is like real estate is, uh, has fundamental value and it was going to continue to grow over time. There'll be dips. There'll be times when interest rates are higher. There'll be time when the interest rates are lower. There'll be time when values are higher. There'll be time when values are lower, but over time things go up and you know, you gotta, you gotta get in. Yeah. I mean, I say this too, what is a good market? What's a bad market? I mean, I tend to think that things tend to balance out. Price goes down when interest rates are high, when interest rates are low, price goes up. I mean, things tend to balance themselves out. So really just get in and like I said, do, you know, plan out your game plan, basically, you know, like I've had clients who've had to overpay for a home and now their home is worth $100,000 less, but they got that sweet 3% interest rate. You know, there's there's pros and cons to kind of everything. So just kind of get get in, get started, and have a game plan on how you're gonna turn this into a you know a positive. Totally. Yeah. Um. And and Stephen, what is is there like something that this you could say this podcast has done for you personally or for your business over the past since we've been doing it for a year now? Yeah, I mean, reflecting for me, on it. Yeah, uh, I would say that I've learned so much about real estate investing. Things that I've never done, they're now options for me. Um, they're now options for my clients. You know, mm. I will, if, you know, if uh, a client is in a situation where they're like, how can I make this cash flow? How can I make this work? Now I have options outside of what I've known personally, and that helps a lot. And then obviously just the network we've built. I mean, we've, we've met some amazing guests. Yeah, I feel like it's now so easy to just call someone up if we have a complex question about real estate investing. We, we have so many resources where we can call and be like, hey, I remember when you told us how you did this, I was like, can you, can you tell us how you did that again? Yeah, I mean, like, Tamiko for land, like, I never do anything about land deals, and she's, like, the expert in that. I, I don't even remember what episode that is, but, I mean, like I said, we have so many people that we can call, like, hey, can you help me with this land deal? Yeah, if you have an interesting situation, that's, yeah, it's totally true. The network is 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 big, and it's super important to, to build those relationships. I, I think that's how, personally, that's how I've learned about real estate and how I've learned about lending is just through talking and networking with people yeah because I mean, there's a lot of big brains out there there's there's a lot of super smart people that are doing things in super creative in different ways than you're doing um and that your local network is doing so it's it's great to get out there and, and learn from the best yeah and you know i refer them deals and they refer us deals and it's been really great for just you know um our business in general like we like i said i i'm just so happy to have the knowledge of all these people to pass on to my clients and to, like i said eventually you know pull for myself and and do i hope to have you know you know a property management business with 2500 units at some point too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 50 employees as well yeah yeah exactly so yeah i mean thank you everybody for obviously listening to the last 42 episodes uh, you know we're really grateful and i hope that everybody got to learn something and that's helped you know change their mind about real estate or help them get started in real estate investing yeah go in check out an episode um you know dive deep learn from learn from someone that's done it uh so that you can get up the sidelines and, and take action and just, just do it right yeah just do it thanks everybody thanks for tuning in to the realized gains podcast 
If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.